up, we thought food was only something that could be enjoyed. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. So much of life happens in the kitchen. It's a place to gather, to laugh, to burn your meatloaf while the kids do their homework at the kitchen island. So if life is happening in the kitchen, that's where we want to be. It doesn't have to be so hard. We can be great dads and great cooks. This show is about us trying to figure it all out. I'm Chris. And I'm Phil. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. So I was thinking back to our knives episode, our second episode ever. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, But I was thinking about it because for my wife's birthday, I got her a new bread knife. And yeah, we just had like this old one that was, it got the job done, but just not super well. And, you know, I've got a food podcast, so... I figured it was a good, good excuse to, to buy a new knife. And so got her this <laughs> new bread knife any. and as good as any. And she's obviously like really into baking and she's she's a wonderful, wonderful baker. And so um, got her this bread knife and we opened it up the other day and we we wanted to cut something with it, but we didn't actually have any bread that, yeah. you know, wasn't already sliced. And so, but you know, we did have Chris. We had tomatoes. <laughs> and you taught me in that knives episode that the best way to slice a tomato is with a serrated knife. So so I christened that that bread knife by cutting up some tomatoes. But that's not all I cut. I also cut my finger. <laughs> I think it was really sharp. It's kind of hilarious because Ashley's like, well, how sharp is it? And I'm like, I don't know. So I just like <laughs> touched my finger to it and just like immediately sliced my finger. So it's a little tender right now. But I don't know if you can see relatively that. sharp. It's, yeah. But I, I guess uh, a sharp knife is a safe knife. Is that the level. saying? I don't know. I think that there's, there's probably a saying like that. But the, I mean, the, the idea that uh, dull knives are not as safe as sharp knives definitely is a thing, though. So Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Like, especially if you're chopping or trying to chop something that's really hard, like, say, I don't know, like a raw sweet potato. Like, you want a sharp knife for that. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, going to yeah. hurt yourself. Or, or like a, any type of gourd, really, for sure. Right. Not, not that sweet potatoes are gourds, but gourds are things that benefit from a sharp knife. Like a squash, like an acorn squash, maybe. I'm thinking of like carving a jack-o'-lantern with a dull knife. That just seems really hard. And probably dangerous. That's a gourd, right? A pumpkin? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, Phil, I uh, I do have to say that I, I feel honored that you cut a tomato as the first thing with your new bread knife. I did ultimately cut some bread with it. Well, that's good. It served its purpose. It's yeah. named purpose, anyway. We could even redo that whole episode and ditch the chef's knife and the paring knife and just have a bread knife. Maybe you can combine the two, Phil. You could have like a chef's knife on the bottom and a bread knife on the top. Okay, the way I hold a knife, that would definitely not work out. Like I wrap my forefinger around the top and then grip it with like the side of my forefinger, like at the first knuckle and then my thumb. And then I wrap the other three fingers around the handle. Yeah, the serration doesn't have to go all the way down, though. Uh, yeah, okay. I see your point. Just leave a, leave a space, Phil. You're designing the knife, so you can you can uh, make it functional for yourself. What if you're using the bread knife? Then are you saying the chef's knife doesn't have to go all the way down to the handle? Maybe, maybe the blade slides, depending on which side you're using. <laughs> this sounds... This sounds epic. You might be onto something. And maybe there's, there's a paring knife that pops out of the handle. It's like a switchblade on the bottom. Woostoff is never going to sponsor us. It's kind of been like a little boyhood dream of mine to be sponsored by Woostoff, and I just don't know if that's going to happen after this episode. Now, because they're going to be scared that you're going to take over their whole entire market with your all-in-one knife, Phil. Yeah. It's like the Leatherman of kitchen tools. Oh, did I ever tell you I accidentally (sighs) tried to board a plane with a Leatherman once? 
No. Obviously, like you said, tried, so you weren't that successful, I guess. Right. Yeah, I was at Denver International Airport, and I went camping with like this almost like duffel bag type of thing. And um, I was traveling with the family, so I was limited on carry-ons. And so I ended up just taking that duffel bag, and it had a Leatherman in one of the pockets that I just completely forgot about. Yeah. And then, the like, thankfully, the TSA, they were, they were feeling a little sprightly that day. Guy pulls me aside, and he's like, do you by chance have a Leatherman in your bag? And I was like, what? No, I would never in a million years try to travel with a leather. He's like, you sure about that, pal? He was like super sarcastic about it, which kind of kind of made it feel light, you know? I can appreciate that. So he, you know, he pulls me aside and he, he you know, is taking everything out of the bag. I don't know if, if, if you guys have ever had like, you know, your bag searched, but they're usually not very gentle with your belongings. He's just like ripping stuff out left and right. And sure enough, like digs down into one of the pockets and it was, it was kind of a hidden pocket, which certainly didn't help the matter. Let's me go. Obviously, he kept the Leatherman, but I got through security. And then as I'm leaving, I like turned back and said some snide little remark like, you know, enjoy selling that on eBay or something like that. I don't think he appreciated that. So anyways, I was feeling a little saucy that day, Chris. I was feeling a little saucy. <laughs> I was wondering how we we're going to get to it. But you don't say, Phil. Like, <laughs> Dude, so, do so, so here's, here's the question. Like, if, if you were feeling saucy that day... What type of what type of sauce might you have been? Well, yeah, it's a good question. Um, bechamel? No, that was probably probably a little be a little too light for for the situation. You know, I, I I was traveling for for the Hollandaise. You know, so no, maybe maybe it could. No. Be. you don't no. like that one. That was okay. It was decent. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is like, 100% off the cuff. If anyone is wondering, we did not skip I mean, this at all. We're already going. We're already going downhill with the transition, and that just kind of <laughs> went off a cliff. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. But but the Espanol, you know, you you might say I was uh, I was especially feeling saucy with the Espanol that day. You're feeling like a sauce Espanol, huh? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Phil. Funny you should say that. Like it's it's really quite coincidental because that's what we're talking about today. And here we are, the sauce espagnole. We've made it part four in our uh, French mother sauces series. And I can't believe it. Seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, we also uh, crossed thirty episodes a couple days ago. Mm, Incredible. But yeah, to be honest, this sauce is not necessarily one that like initially I was super super interested in. I guess I didn't really know that much about it. I hadn't really read up on it. And kind of diving into it a bit, uh, I think that uh, my mindset has changed a bit. Yeah, I I didn't really know a whole lot of like, what what were we going to say about this sauce? You know, yeah. I mean, I kind of felt that way a little bit with maybe a couple of the others. But as per the huge, Chris, as I've researched this a little bit more... I've I, I think I'm a little more familiar with it than than, than I thought. Uh, yeah, the Espanol is actually a pretty complex sauce, and so it is. Have I been making that all long specifically? No, probably not. But some derivatives, well, maybe, or at least some components of it. Yeah, some some of the derivative sauces for sure. So how would you I, describe I the Espanol? Like if our avatar listener was seven years old, how would you describe the Espanol sauce? Espanol brown liquid. <laughs> That's good. That's really I, good. Well, I don't know if we were to increase the age limit a little bit. Uh, I, I I think it's a it, it's a very flavorful sauce. Mm-hmm. It seems like 
more Obviously. flavorful than you know, like say the bechamel. like a bechamel for Which, sure absolutely or the velouté pretty flavorless uh, i think the velouté had like a little bit uh, the velouté has more than the bechamel i would say that so far the bechamel is probably the lightest base or the most neutral base might be the best the best way of uh, phrasing that but yeah this this one I, I think it carries a lot of flavor so because because it carries a lot of flavor i think it pairs with things that are you know, a little bit more flavorful and rich and like hearty as well. So I don't know. Do you want to like quickly dive into what it is or like how it's made? Yeah, let's let's do it. One thing I was going to mention, though, before we got started, I'm kind of surprised that we didn't actually cover this in the previous three sauce episodes. But the kind of the origins of these sauces actually come from potentially other countries. Or Escoffier. Yeah, I was going to talk about Escoffier. Oh, oh yeah. Um, well, Auguste Escoffier. Yeah. No, I, I think it's interesting. And, you know, we, we, we talk about this being a, a French mother sauce, but the sauce, you know, the sauce Espanol actually did originate in Spain. Who'd have thought with a name like that? <laughs> but, yeah, but it, it was identified by Escoffier. Who is like this world-renowned chef, still still is, yeah. you know, kind of hailed from the 19th century and is responsible for many of the techniques and, and practices that are still used today in French cuisine. And not just French cuisine, but in, in international cuisine. So way to go, Escoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that kind of all the, the, the appearance in international cuisine just shows the, I guess, influence that the French French cuisine has had on the whole entire world and like really most of most of what we eat. Right. I think especially like what we think of as fine dining. So the sauce espagnole, like you said, it is a, a little bit of a more complex sauce to make. But, you know, it oftentimes starts with a brown, like a fairly browned roux, right? Yeah, and you just make that by basically browning the butter, which I, I kind of like. I mean, I really like the flavor of like a browned butter. It's hard not to like browned butter. Yeah. I remember when we were doing our bechamel episode, some of the research that I was doing was that the, like with a bechamel, you do not want to brown that butter. Because then it's going to change the color, and then it's no longer a white sauce. But I, I found it interesting that like if you if you did brown the butter on a bechamel, then that would be like pretty exclusive to New Orleans cuisine, which I thought was kind of fascinating. And then I was like, shoot, I'm moving to New Orleans. If they brown their <laughs> butter, that's where I'm going. So and just to I guess kind of be clear, like uh, browned butter is literally just butter that's been overheat for a little bit longer, and it actually like literally browns. And it kind of yeah. changes the flavor. It gets like a, you often hear it described as like a more nutty, earthy flavor. That sounds good to me. Def definitely has like yeah. a different flavor. Yeah, just leave it in the saucepan. Obviously, if you're making your roux, then you've got some flour with, with your butter. Heat that up and uh, continually stir uh, or whisk rather. Eventually, that's going to darken and it's going to be this really pretty brown butter. And, and like you said, Chris, that's that's where you start with. You've got your, your dark brown roux. And then what do, you, what do you add from there? Well, I, I don't know. I've seen a couple different ways of going about this this sauce. Okay, so like if we were just to talk about the components of, of a sauce espanol real quick, you have like a brown roux, a brown stock, so either beef or maybe more traditionally a veal stock, a mirepoix, garlic, and a tomato puree. And kind of the, the order of that sauce I've seen like happen a couple different ways. I think it was actually a, a Thomas Keller recipe where he was talking about the carrots and onion in the butter first. So you're kind of like sauteing the carrots and onions into the butter. And then once those have started to soften and maybe the butter starts to brown a little bit, then you add your flour to create your roux with the 
carrots and onions still there. And then oh, okay. eventually you're going to add your celery later, kind of after you add your stock and garlic and tomato puree. So I've seen I've seen a couple different ways of going about it, but like what, what, what all have you come across? Yeah, that sounds great. I actually hadn't heard of that one. Mostly, I think what I've come across is, you know, you start with that roux and then you you add your brown stock and then you add your your mirepoix, like you said, um, or really just just kind of a smattering of vegetables that would reduce down well and and kind of offer some good base flavor. And then I feel like I always saw some type of tomato additions as well, and usually like a tomato puree or tomato paste. And then the exactly. And then that's kind of how you you finish it off. So it, so it is it is thickened quite a bit, but still has the the viscosity of a sauce that runs. Okay. I suppose that's visual. The worst enough, description. <laughs> maybe. At least it's brown. It's a sauce that runs. So, yeah. As opposed for to a, for our seven year olds, a sauce that sticks, I guess maybe. So it's a brown runny sauce, <laughs> and then it is it is really flavorful. <laughs> like you mentioned, it's like I don't think you'd really want to enjoy it just um, by itself. Like I found like the I don't know the hollandaise or the velouté. Like you can taste it as you go. Yeah, but I think the 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 espanol is just going to be like so rich in flavor. Yeah, which which isn't a bad thing, you know. I mean, I I, I did see a few things that I, like it kind of works with. In that way, so like, like something like a steak frites as as a sauce over that, or like a beef tenderloin, but like yeah. m- mostly just really hearty dishes, like braised beef, short ribs, or like a lamb shank, or something along those lines. Like those are probably some of the only things that you'd want to just throw like this sauce on directly. Yeah, in and of itself, like many of the other. Mother sauces, it's used to turn into all these other derivatives um, or daughter sauces, if you if you please. So do you want to talk about some of your favorite derivatives? Because this is really where this sauce oh, yeah. gets definitely, definitely, super definitely. fun. I guess this is the fourth one we've talked about. Th- this one's my favorite because of what it can become. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I have some favorites, but I want to hear about yours first. No, I definitely do too. And one thing that I noticed with almost all of the derivatives that I saw was the addition of wine. And so maybe that's that's why it's just fantastic. I think there are probably two that stand out above all of the rest. And there are a lot of like other super, super interesting ones that I had never really heard of. There's one that actually uses duck drippings and orange and lemon juice. Which just oh, yeah, sounds so good. There, there were just a bunch of really interesting ones, like the bursty sauce uh, has like a reduced white wine and shallots added to the sauce espagnol. There's like yep. a port port wine sauce, which it was more or less just a port wine, and maybe this is like a double derivative, but it's a port wine that's added to one of the two like more famous derivatives that you can come up with out of the sauce espagnol, and that's a demi glaze. Yeah, the demi glaze is pretty foundational for French cooking. Oh yeah. I, th- I think you're you're absolutely going to see that used on finished dishes way more than a sauce espagnol. So uh, a demi-glaze is, is basically just a sauce espagnol with additional stock, more or less. Yep. So um, kind of equal parts uh, espagnol and uh, additional quantities of brown stock. And then usually that's finished with sherry just to keep in the, the whole wine family there. Because it is France. Yeah. And 
that's half of what I love about French cooking is, I don't know, there's just something right. about the smell of, of cooking with wine. I, I love it so much. You should really... You should really smell wine tacos then. Uh, this is they, they are coming up way too often. And I feel like we, I, I actually do feel like we have some recurring themes here, Phil, with the, with the wine tacos. And, and actually, like it oddly enough does tie in quite well, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does actually, especially with the, you know, well, you talked about the bourguignon sauce or sauce bourguignon. Yeah. Okay. So sauce bourguignon, you've obviously got your espanol and then you're going to reduce that with, uh, with some red wine and some onions or shallots and then a bunch of herbs like parsley, thyme and bay leaf, which really shoot like that's, that's exactly how you make bouffe bourguignon really. And then it's funny again, like <laughs> or, who'd have thought that a yeah. sauce espanol came from Spain? Who thought? Or cocova, which is, I don't know, it might be my favorite dish ever. So you brought up another sauce that I feel like you were just dying to talk about, Phil. Sauce Robert. You, you know much about the about the, the Bobby sauce? sauce? Bobby? Honestly, I, I can't really say that I do. I was just stuck on the demi-glaze and all the different things that you can do with that. So Sauce Robert is not a derivative of the Espanol. However, a Sauce Robert, Robert mixed with an Espanol ends up being kind of like the parent sauces to a few other ones. And okay. so I, I think this one's kind of interesting. But the sauce robber in and of itself is a pretty popular sauce in some of like the finer dining. At least what we experienced in, in Paris when we were there, we had sauce robber a couple of times on some dishes, but it is often served with pork or maybe some red meat. Nothing wrong with that. And Chris, it's basically onions cooked in butter. I'm in. Delicious. And then <laughs> some some white wine. I was just going to say, if you, if you could add some wine, especially white wine to that. Yep. Uh-huh. So, so far we're, we're doing well. I'm, I'm with you. You're, you're batting a thousand. Some freshly cracked pepper because, again, batting a thousand. That's fine. Yeah. And then are you ready for this? Then you add a demi-glace. Okay. Okay. And then some mustard. And that's a sauce Robert. All right. And it's really, really good over pork. And then to I mean, finish it all off. sounds super interesting. You add, obviously, that to your espanol along with some gherkins, okay. which is kind of the yeah. European way of saying pickles, mm -hmm. but little ones. Little little guys, little little pickles, and what do you have, Chris? Not to be confused with the Merkin. You you have sauce charcutier, and that's what I was excited to talk to you about. Okay, so I, I did I did come across that sauce. Yes, it's a, it's a really lengthy roundabout way of getting there, but I I don't think I've ever had sauce charcutier, and I'm really curious about it. Why? Because. Our charcuterie episode was one of my favorites, and that's what we call a shameless plug. It's, it's a pretty good one. How, how, many, how many episodes can we uh, plug in this one? So we've got knives and charcuterie, and what was... All the other sauces. What episode was the wine tacos? Was it leftovers? Maybe? No. No, that was earlier on. That was like no. around Thanksgiving. Well, maybe I Chris Lilly we can tell I think us. It, yeah, that's perfect. Because I don't he remember. Will too. He too. He will. So anyways, um, there's, a, there's a few others on here. Which I don't know if we have really time to go through, but there's like the sauce Africaine. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that or like the sauce Chassieux, mushrooms and shallots. We've already we've already gone over mushrooms, Phil. Yeah, that's weird. So weird that you don't like mushrooms. That's so weird to me. It's a staple. Well, Chris, after researching all things Espanol, you know what I learned? Ah, uh, don't. I learned. I mean, I could take a guess. You've actually, been. What's your guess? That you like pickles and brown sauce. Mushrooms I, and shallots. The chassisia. Sauchisia. <laughs> so, no, I learned that Ashley and I have actually been making a very close relative of this. I don't know what you would call it, but we make this 
well, really, Ashley makes it, but I tag along for the ride. This really yummy cheese and onion enchilada dish. And you, you like good Tex-Mex, right? Eh, sure. I love Tex-Mex. I think it's amazing. Anyways, there's this enchilada recipe that we make, and it, it actually has you make something very similar to an espanol. So, really? Yeah, like it uh, got me really, okay. really excited. It's super tasty. Let's see, what is not added to it? Yeah, like it's got a dark brown roux. It's got a beef stock, but then some seasonings that are added are obviously going to be like cumin and chili powder. Yeah, kind of so, takes it more into the south of the, the border Espanol flavors. side of things. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, a little, little south of the border. Yeah, it's super, super good. And then you basically uh, use corn tortillas. Which I've never made corn tortillas. I'm really curious about those. Have you ever made corn tortillas? Not corn. Made flour. Yeah, we make flour all the time. I don't remember the last time we bought flour tortillas. Like once you once you go homemade, you never go back. Unless you don't anyways, have time. So time is a construct, Chris. That rules most it's, of our lives. It's a very real construct. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So let's see. Where were they? Um, okay, these enchiladas. So then you basically. Take a bunch of corn tortillas and stuff them with a lot of cheese and this delicious version of Espanol. And then you just bake it, and it's really, really good. Cheese and onion enchiladas, the best. Yeah, I guess it doesn't sound too, too bad. I'll see if I can find the recipe that we've been using, and I'll post it on the show notes. Sounds good. I'll have to try it. As long as as long as long it's a Espanol and not a Bourguignon, just stop, <laughs> stop before you hit that. We could graduate from wine tacos to wine enchiladas. I know, I know, I know. How much of how much of our material is going to get reused with just this? Maybe that's just like the running joke. Well, yeah, stickers. We should have wine taco stickers. That's a great idea. I, I like can, that idea. We need some stickers in general. Okay, so so wine tacos. What else? What else can we put in there? Maybe even a shirt, yeah. like like a dad's kitchen wine taco shirt. I also I do I think like, like the gut sauce the other shirt. day. Oh yeah. With like a list of the, the, the five the five mother sauces. Yeah, we might need to get on this whole merch thing. I don't know if anybody, if anybody would actually be interested, but uh, dude, I would I would rock that. <laughs> but if somebody you know really really wanted one of these shirts, Phil, how would how would they tell us that they wanted it? <laughs> nice one. Awkward transition to social plug. Yeah, it's what we do best. We plug our wine tacos in the worst of ways. So. <laughs> Well, they could jump over to Dad's Kitchen Co. on Instagram. That might be a good way. They could do it on Twitter as well. We've actually had a little bit of Twitter activity today. That's been nice. fun. I don't know if you saw that, but I'll have to look. So that's that's kind of fun. And we could always have an email sent to us via the satellites. And what's our email address? Hello at dadskitchenco.com. Yep. Awesome. Well, Phil, something, something, something. Brown running sauce.